Turn your back to Mark 5, please. Mark's Gospel, the fifth chapter. We've entitled the message tonight, The Devil Defeated. The Devil Defeated. Let's just unite our heart together. We were to prayer as we come to the preaching of God's Word. You might pray that the Lord will speak to your heart. Have a little word in season to your soul. Father in heaven, we thank thee again for thy presence. We thank the Lord for thy grace that finds us in the house of God this Sabbath evening. Lord, there's many a place in the world we could have been. And Lord, we thank thee for thy grace that finds us here. Even, Lord, among God's people and in the worship of the only true and living God of heaven and earth. Thank the Lord for the testimony of that hymn from sinking sand. He lifted me. And Lord, we thank thee for the tender hand that reached down and lifted us, unworthy, undeserving as we were. And Lord, thou hast lifted us, and thou hast brought us to place our feet on that rock, Christ Jesus. Lord, what you've done for us, Lord, do for others tonight. O God, we pray that they might be lifted from the sinking sand, sinking, Lord, into a lost eternity. Lord, bring it before their very eyes. And we pray that thou might speak the word, and it shall be done. Oh, hear our cry tonight. Help us in behind the pulpit here. Lord, endure us with that power from above. We pray for that anointing of the Holy Spirit, that thy word would run and be glorified. Pray, Lord, for help in the pew. Give, Lord, the listening ear. Take away the distraction and the distracting thoughts. And, oh, God, close us in even for the remainder of this service tonight. We ask these mercies in our Savior's name. Amen. The devil is often about his work of attempting to frustrate the work and plan of God. It was so in the Garden of Eden. That is why, of course, he sought and succeeded in deceiving Eve. He sought to usurp the authority of God. And men and women from that fall in the garden into sin. There came the promise of the Redeemer. There came the promise of the Savior. It would be from the seed of the woman. And that seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. The devil was out to frustrate the plan of God. It was so in the time of Noah. He sought that the whole world would follow after him. But yet we read of one man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah obeyed God in the building of the ark, in the preaching of righteousness for those 120 years. And God brought them into the ark, him, his wife, his family as well, along with the animals. It was so in the time of Job. The devil sought the street even that time as well. He believed that if he could afflict Job, then he would turn around and curse God. But the Lord God knew Job. And he made him to be the man that he was. A man that we read in the opening verses of that book, who feared God and eschewed evil, so that there was none like him in his own generation. And try as the devil may, to frustrate the work of God in the life and the person of Job. He could not. And it proved that Satan to Jesus must bow. 
God permitted him to put his hand upon his health. God permitted him that he would lose his business, that he would lose his family, but he couldn't go any further. He couldn't take his life. Satan to Jesus must bow. And when we come into the time of the Lord's earthly ministry, again it can be seen that the same attempts were made. The devil, you see, will never give up his work of seeking to frustrate the eternal plan of God until he himself is finally and forever cast into the lake of fire. I want you to look at the opening of this chapter we read together. Verse 1 of chapter 5 of Mark's Gospel. And you read in the opening verse of that chapter, you would say, there's nothing very relevant there. It simply says, and they came over onto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. But men and women, there is nothing insignificant about that one verse when you consider what precedes it. Forget about the wee white space in between. Forget about the chapter divisions. But what precedes verse 1 of chapter 5 is that the Lord had said to the disciples to go into the boat and go over to the other side. But what happened was the storm arose. And those conditions, uh, fishermen, well-worn fishermen, they were thinking of a watery grave. They had unbelief in their heart that they would ever, ever reach the other side. But yet chapter 5 verse 1 tells us, and they came over onto the other side of the sea. That in, into the country of the Gadarenes. That's why it's not insignificant. It's not insignificant because we could look upon that as another attempt of the devil to frustrate the Savior, to prevent him from reaching his destination of the other side. And you've got to ask the question, why would Satan not want the Savior to go into the other side, to get across that lake, into the Gadarene area? Well, the answer to that, I believe, is found in verse 15. And they came, they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with a devil and had the legion sitting and clothing and in his right mind and they were afraid. The devil, you see, was defeated. And the devil tonight doesn't want you, sinner, to become like this man that I want to introduce you to even tonight in the gospel. The devil was defeated in the country of the Gadarenes. That's why he sought to prevent the disciples and the Savior from reaching the other side. Let me show you first of all here the sad case. This region around the Sea of Galilee was that which was more favored with the Lord's presence than any other. In his early, especially in his early public ministry, it's here that he chose his disciples. It's here that he delivered many of his messages. It's here that he performed many powerful miracles, none more so than what we find before us in the verses that we read together. We're introduced to this creature in the words of verse 2 and 3. When he was come out of the ship immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. There's a sad case of ever there was one. 
You'll notice something of his dwelling. This man with an unclean spirit was one who dwelt among the tombs. Away up on the mountains, in the midst of the deep tombs, this man had his existence. This was the sort of place that he dwelt in day and night. And when we think of the dwelling, then we're compelled to consider his company. There's not a one tonight before me that we could say, you dwell among the tombs. You have a wee cottage somewhere, a little house somewhere else, maybe a mansion for some, but you don't dwell among the tombs. And your company is not those among the tombs, but it was with this man. He loved the solitude of the dead. The serpents that would have been in such a place didn't annoy him. The corruption of the stench of the putrefying bodies was something that he was able to stomach day and night. And this was his chosen dwelling place. And this was his chosen company. Oh dear friend, how there's a striking resemblance to the dwelling place and the company of the unconverted soul. To those in her dwelling to those under the sound of the preacher's voice tonight, without the Savior, then we can equally say that you're one who's out in the mountains, wild and bare, far away from the tender shepherd's care. The company that you delight in is, as it were, those who are of the tombs. The living, the sweet name of the Savior is never heard from your lips, unless as a swear word, and you dwell among the dead. You might say, preacher, where do you get that? Well, doesn't the Scriptures remind us in Ephesians 2, in the words of verse 1, that the sinner is being dead in trespasses and in sins. The corruption that comes with dead spiritual souls is all around you, and it's their company that you delight to be in. The sinful nature of man is that which feels at home in the tomb. For the Lord was to say that man loves darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. You'll see something else about this sad case, not only his dwelling, but notice the dilemma, verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs, just in case you missed it, in verse 2, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. There's a dilemma. The picture is of this possessed man. He's one who's uncontrollable. His eyes would have had that wild look about them. A fierceness which said to all who approached that he was beyond any restraint or control. Oh, there were those times when they got a hold of him. There were those times they sought to bind him with fetters and with chains. But he broke them free. And as a result, no man would dare to pass by that way. What this possessed man was is what the heart of every unconverted man, woman, young person is in the sight of God. You see, there's a heart that is desperately wicked. There's a heart which is capable, listen to me, of committing every sin imaginable. Your heart is capable of committing every sin imaginable, but for the restraining grace of God. You're capable of committing everyone. There's a proud heart. And who can tame it? 
that heart which is immoral, who can control it? There's the wicked and the poisonous tongue which is quick to spread strife and gossip. It's an unruly evil. Who but can contain it? There's that lover of strong drink or the gambling dens or whatever else that the world may dangle before the sinner. And there's a dilemma because no man can tame, no man can restrain such a sinner. Many restraints are put on the unconverted. You know, you could think tonight of the restraints of a godly home. And if I was to walk around the congregation and ask you, I'm sure that many of you would have to say, yes, I was brought up in a godly home. I had a mommy and a daddy who was saved. I had a grandmother who was saved and she prayed for me. And there's the restraints of a godly home. But many, like the prodigal son, they seek to break free from those restraints. And they seek to get away from the house of God. And they seek to get away into the far country. There's a restraint of gospel preaching. And the warnings that are contained are in of the wrath of God against sin. But even the privilege of being brought up in a gospel preaching church can be a restraint which you seek to lay aside. And you may not desire to be in the house of God that often. Would to God that your conscience would be troubled. And that the word of God which you've heard before and you're hearing again would rise up in Holy Ghost convicting power on your sinful soul. I want you to notice this sad case. He was in effect destroying himself. You see verse 5. He says, always day and night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. He caused himself harm. The marks on his body bore testimony to that. What hurt and pain must he have felt? And yet he continued to do the same. Sin hurts, men and women. There's always the consequences of sin. I made reference to this guy here this morning. He's a man that cuts the flesh. Is there not a parallel with the unconverted? You see, we read in Proverbs 8 and verse 36, He that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All that hate me love death. Not only are you despising the Lord, But you're adding to your own destruction tonight. Every time that you commit sin, every time that you sit in the house of God under the preaching of the gospel, hear the invitation of the Savior to your soul and go out saying, No, I will not have this man to rule over me. You're heaping up the wrath of God upon your own soul. No one else's. For in hell... Everyone will be rewarded according to their own works. What have you done with Christ? This sad case is in fact you who are unsaved under the sound of my voice tonight. One who rejects the Savior, the only hope for your never dying soul. 
A sad case. Do you see here Satan's craft? You know, we live in a day where there believably are those who try and tell us that there's no devil. We've only got to open our eyes, of course, in this world to see the utter foolishness of that proposition. But if the scriptures are true, and they are, then there is a devil. They don't want to accept there's a devil because if they do that, they have to acknowledge there's a God. The scriptures reveal there is a devil. And this, among other passages, puts that beyond any doubt. When the Lord was to walk this earth, it seems many times the devil is seen to summon all his angels into the battlefield. That was the case when the Lord was to be tempted of the devil in the wilderness. Forty days and for forty nights. It's the case here in this area of the Gadarenes. Where the Lord is seen to be at work, you can be sure the devil will present himself to hinder that work. And in this instance, we notice the devil is about the work of craft. What is his desire but to take over a man or a woman and at last to take them to a Christless eternity? When this man who met the Lord was asked his name, he was to reply, My name is Legion, for we are many. That's what it means. He had taken this man over. He had possessed him. And the devil's desire is still at the minds of people will be blinded from the message of the gospel, lest the glorious light of the gospel of saving grace should shine unto them, and that they would believe. He seeks to reside in hearts and hold sway over the will, over the being, persuading young people and older to have nothing to do with this man, Jesus, to show no urgency about the message of the gospel. Oh, you have plenty of time. You notice something here of his deception. The devil loves to deceive men and women into thinking that the Lord doesn't care about them. That was the initial response from this man when he saw the Lord of glory. Look at verse 7. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thy Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. What have you to do with me? This demented man was deceived into thinking that the Lord would have nothing to do with him. He has such a sad case. Someone whom no one wanted to be associated with. Why would the Lord of glory want to have anything to do with such a vile sinner as me? And maybe the devil, maybe old Satan has come along and he's whispered that into your ear. Hey, you're some hypocrite boy sitting in the house of God Why would the Lord have anything to do with you? But you see, he is a deceiver from the beginning, a liar. In fact, you will be aware that the very opposite was the case here. The Lord had come across the lake for a purpose. We we finished our reading tonight of the words of verse 20. Where's the Lord? He's in the boat again. He's about to leave. So we have just read about his purpose in crossing over that lake is to meet with this one man. 
One whom, had a, he, whom he had an appointment from all eternity to meet with. For the Lord Jesus had everything to do with this poor soul. He had every concern for him. For way back in eternity, before the Lord God spake this world into being, his eternal love, his unchanging love, had been set upon this man. He was one who was upon the heart of the Savior. He would go to the cross and he would die for the sins of this man. This was the day when this sad case, who is a picture of the sinner, of course, was to learn and come to know of that love. This was the day when the shepherd had come in search of the lost sheep. And this was his appointed time when the great physician was to heal that sin-sick soul. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained? I have to say, I like that hymn. If I could just read the rest of that first verse. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mere or song as the burdens press and the cares distress and the day grows weary and long? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. And the days are weary and the long nights dreary. I know my Savior cares. He cares for you, sinner. He hates your sin, but he cares for you. You see, what a liar Satan is exposed to be. He tried to fool the man to the very point where he cried out, Torment me not. It was the devil who had tormented him, and the Lord had come to help him. Yet, is the same not true of even some in the gospel service this very evening? The Lord has drew very near through the reading, through the preaching of his word. It has come as a messenger to you. It has come with conviction upon your soul. And yet in effect, you may have said, Lord, torment me not. Let me go my own way. I want to live the way I, I want to live my own life. I don't want to get saved yet. The devil, my friend, has deceived you into thinking that the Christian life is a life of misery, a real killjoy. When in effect the truth of the Saviour's words comes home with force, come unto me all yet labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the Saviour's words. He said, I am come that ye might have life. Ye might have it more abundantly. But having sought to deceive, the devil also sought to cause much disruption when he realized that things weren't going his way with this demented man, he then sought that the whole country would rise up against the Lord. The devils, having been cast out of this man, desired to be sent into the swine, and their running into the sea and being destroyed was designed to arouse the fears and the anger of the Gadarenes against the Savior of the world. Let me just back up a little. 
Did you ever ask yourself, and I believe you've read this passage, no doubt, before. Did you ever ask yourself why the devils asked the question in verse 12, send us into the swine that we may enter into them? You ever wonder why that was so? Maybe I could help you to answer that question, but I have to take you to Luke's account. Luke's account, chapter 8, it's a very same passage, the very same time. And Luke brings it out in, in uh, uh, verse 31. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? He said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there and heard of many swine feeding in the mountain. And they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. He permitted them. But there's the answer. Why did they seek to go into the swine? Because verse 31, they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. You see the word for deep? It's the bottomless pit. That's where they're going. But they wanted just a wee time longer. Send us into the swine instead. That's why they besought the Lord that they might get into the swine. Because they knew, the devils knew that the power of God was able to send them there and then into the bottomless pit. What happened? When the men of the city came out and they saw this man and what had happened to the swine, verse 17 of our passage, they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. Can you believe that? And yet is the same not true to this day. The preacher has maybe thought the Lord saving a precious soul would cause a burning in your heart to seek the Lord while he may be found. You have heard as I have heard of souls getting saved and maybe there's some man, some woman in your heart and in your mind and you'll think if they hear of that, maybe they'll come too. But instead you have pleaded that he would depart. Oh, the craft of Satan. You know, I want you just to see the soul converted here. That's where we'll end. We'll not close the meeting thinking about the craft of Satan. We'll close the meeting thinking about the soul that was converted. Because Satan to Jesus must bow, you see. We have seen in a most graphic fashion the awful the sad state of this man. We have seen how Satan had taken over this man and his life and was destroying it as the days went on. But thank God the power of Satan is no match for the power of Christ. And we see something of that power in the word that Christ spake. And you'll read it with me in verse 8. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Come out of the man. Men and women get this. I want the child of God to get this particularly. 
The spoken word of Christ was enough to cast the devil out and to transform this man until he was practically unrecognizable. The word of Christ. I underline that because the problem today in the evangelical church is that they don't any any longer believe that God's word is enough. They don't really. They don't believe that this book is enough. That God's word is enough. And so we have to go to the signs and the wonders. We have to move to the entertainment. Because God's word is not sufficient for the day in which we're living in. For men and women, the spoken word was enough to cast the devil out. The Lord simply said, Come out of the man, my unclean spirit. Praise God, the description or the deception of the old devil was to be overcome this day. And that man was to come to Christ. You'll note that the Savior had power over the unclean spirits. They begged leave to go into the swine. Thereby we read that forthwith Jesus gave them leave. It just requires a word from the Lord to liberate a soul from the bondage of their sin, from the chains of Satan that binds. Just a word spoken. It was just a word spoken in the graveyard that caused Lazarus to arise from the dead and to come forth from that tomb. Just a word. Lazarus, come forth. Just a word spoken caused the man sick of a palsy to take up his bed and walk out with it. A healed man. A healed soul. Just a word spoken and cause your soul to tremble under the weight of its sin and to repent of it and to turn by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior of a lost mankind. Just a word. I can't save you. Church can't save you. But just a word from Christ will do the work. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The sense is, he's a new creation in the sense of a miracle of the new birth. God, as it were, takes a guilty sinner and he makes him over again. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Look at this man as you find him in the words of verse 15. Is he not a new creature? Let me read it to you again. They came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil, had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. As the people of the city came out, what did they see? They realized that he had a peace of heart and mind. They knew this man. They avoided him. But he has now a peace of heart and mind which he never had before. He that was possessed of the devil was now a man in his right mind. 
Can I also say this? And again, it's particularly an application to the people of God. The devil can't possess a child of God. I have heard that nonsense. Some folk that have left this church to go to another fellowship not that far away. But one of the men that preaches in that unnamed fellowship, he teaches that a child of God can be possessed of the devil. That's heretical. You see, when God saves, God the Holy Spirit comes in, takes over the heart. The devil is displaced. The devil can't possess a child of God. It's impossible. And this man, as you see the words in the, in the uh, tense in verse 15, they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed. He's no, no longer, he's not. That was in the past. He was. But now he's sitting, he's clothed, and he's in his right mind. And they were afraid. Before he dwelt in the tombs, before he was a wild man, unable to control himself or to be controlled by someone else, a man avoided by the rest of the village. But now he has that calmness. His heart is at rest and peace. His gaze is upon him who had done so much for him and he looks into the face of his deliverer. And my friend, tonight if you're in this meeting house without Christ and without peace, you, you can have a peace with God in your soul tonight. Because you see, I read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll not get peace by a church attendance. You'll not get peace by a set of works or rules. You'll not get peace by being that uh, good employer or employee or that uh, respectable neighbor. We're justified by faith. We have peace with God and it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice not only his peace, but also his position. They come to Jesus. They see him that was possessed, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Before this, this man cried out, Torment me not. But now there's no place so sweet in the world but at the feet of the Savior. It was here that he could hear his Lord. It's here that he could listen to his voice, that voice that spoke peace to his soul before there was a nakedness. He's a picture of what he was before God because of sin were naked in God's sight. But having known the power of the Lord, that spoken word, he now wore garments. He sat at the feet of the Savior being clothed and in his right mind. And so it will be if you sinner will accept God's offer of salvation tonight. 
in the person of God's dear Son. You know what he does? He takes off the old filthy rags. Old filthy rags of our self-righteousness. And they're discarded. And not only does he do that, but he also gives us that covering, that cleansing through the precious blood that covers over all our sin. And he clothes us with the spotless righteousness and robes of Christ's righteousness. And you'll know what it is to sit at the feet of Jesus. And you'll have the assurance that none can perish there. You know, there's no better place for the child of God than to be at the Savior's feet. Have you been there today? I trust you have. Tell me, is this your position tonight? If you're truly saved, then it will be. From sinking sand, the Lord has lifted you. From shades of night to plains of light, all praise His name. You can say, He has lifted me. And you're sitting at the Savior's feet. It's my prayer that if that's not the case, that you're not sitting at the Savior's feet, you're not saved, then that you would turn your eyes upon Jesus. You look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this old world, they'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. And his grace. May God help you to be that converted soul tonight. And then like this man, you'll be able to go home. You see, he wanted to go where the Lord. That's where the child of God will want to be. You'll want to be where the Lord is. See the difference? He dwelt among the dead. He dwelt in the tombs. Now, after his conversion, in the words of verse 19, he wants to go with the Savior. But the Lord said, no, go back home and tell what the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. He had a ministry. His ministry began at home. And he was to go home and tell of the great things that the Lord had done and how he had loved him. He had compassion on him. My friend, that can be you tonight. Leaving this very house, clothed in your right mind, sitting at the Savior's feet, going home to tell, you know what? The Lord saved me tonight. The Lord has shown his love to me tonight. And dying on the cross for an old sinner, an old sad case, just like the man in Mark 5. May it be so. May the Lord bless his word even tonight for your, his own name's sake and for his glory's sake. And you might come and be saved. Number 41. <clears throat> Let's sing, sing this in closing. Come sing my soul and praise the Lord who hath redeemed thee by his blood, delivered thee from chains that bound and brought thee to redemption ground. Let's sing uh, verses 1 and uh, 4 and 5. 1, 4 and 5 of number 41, page 192.
Lord, we do thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for the simplicity of the gospel. We've seen a picture of ourselves in sin. But, O oh God, we bless thee. We've also noted, despite the craft of Satan, the power of Christ, the spoken word that could change this man from being a wild man dwelling in tombs, one who is possessed of the devil, to being clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of the Savior, obeying the Lord, going back into capitalists and telling what the Lord had done for him. Lord, do that work in a soul tonight that they might go forth from this place declaring, the Lord has saved me on redemption ground. Thank the Lord the work is done. Thank the Lord the blood is shed and it's powerful enough to cleanse the vilest, most longest sinner from all their sin. O oh Lord, speak on when the preacher's voice is silent. Part us with thy fear. And pray the best may yet to be. Now I would bring even loved ones long prayed for to the feet of the blessed Redeemer. Hear and answer our prayer, for we offer it in our Savior's precious and all-prevailing name. Amen.